This is a Cyber Union Podcast, episode 88. We're back! Welcome to Cyber Unions. My name is Walton and I'm coming to you from Battlefield in Glasgow, Scotland. And with me is... Is Stephen. And I am not coming from Mexico City anymore. <laughs> I am in Boston now. I've returned to Boston. Um, and wow, Walton, it has been a long time since I've heard your voice. It has indeed, <sighs> Stephen. It's been a really long time. Uh, it's more than a year since we recorded this this podcast. And I, uh, we've just been looking back at the old episodes and realized that the last one was called Indie Ref Yes. And uh, a lot has happened since then. That, that, uh, that particular episode was recorded just before the Scottish independence referendum and I remember I was all enthusiastic about the potential of us voting yes, um, and we didn't. So um, I've been hiding yeah. in my bed for the past year, which is why we haven't recorded a podcast. Oh, I hope the bed is nice and clean underneath there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's it, it has been quite some time. I, it that was a that was a long time ago. How how was the aftermath outside of the uh, well? It's the been, hiding under the bed. It, it's been absolutely fascinating because. When Scotland voted no, relatively narrowly, it voted um, 45% yes, 55% no. And I think that, and, 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 and I strongly think that that move for independence was, it was an anti-establishment um, left-wing political surge. That It wasn't really about mm. nationalism, it was about this desire to break away from the political establishment. And I think that the establishment thought and hoped that with the no vote, their their power would be consolidated and things would go down, you know, go back to normal and, and you know, it would be business as usual. Um, instead, mm-hmm. what happened was uh, it was it was really, really interesting because the day after, well, the day the results came in, the day after the referendum, uh, people were like really down for um, a few, you know, a few hours. And then um, I started to see on Twitter um, people saying, I just joined the SNP, I just joined the Green Party, I just whatever. And there was this absolute surge of people saying, I'm not, I'm not giving up on politics, I'm going to get involved. Um, and the result was there's a mass influx of people into political parties hmm. and also other campaign groups. And so certainly in Scotland, the general level of political activism stayed the same as it was before the referendum. In the general election in May this year, um, Scotland sent back 56 out of 59 SNP uh, nationalist MPs, which was a complete upset, completely changed the balance of, of, of power in, in Scotland. And that's really shifted things. And hmm. in, in my view, what's happened subsequently in England within the Labour Party is a similar dynamic where people are just so sick of centrist politics that doesn't stand for anything that when the um, the leftist Jeremy Corbyn stood for Labour leadership election, people said, uh, you know, he's a bit like maybe Bernie Sanders in the, in the US. People said, there's just there's no way this guy can win. And yet they were, he won by almost 60% of, of, uh, of, of voters voted him as leader of the Labour Party. So now we have wow. a situation where, where Labour, for the first time in decades, has a, a genuine left-wing leader and there's an actual alternative. So it's been 
hugely interesting time um, politically in, in the UK. I think there's been a big polarization. Um, the right has become a lot more sure of itself and, uh, you know, they're practicing open class war. But the hmm. the left is beginning to really articulate an alternative. And I also think there's a lot more street politics going on. There's a, you know, so it has been an interesting year. How's your year been? <laughs> Um, it has been interesting as well. Uh, I, uh, not as um, political on that front, um, though. It's been it's been uh, a, a, it was a little over a year ago that I actually moved back to Boston from Mexico City, uh, which partly was initially for trying to get more work into uh, doing co-op work, um, and then it turned into I got um, I got one of those things. What's it called? Uh, Full time job. Um, <laughs> I didn't have that for quite some time, uh, and I ended up uh, hi- getting hired by the Free Software Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been working there, and initially was hired as a junior sysadmin, which surprised the hell out of me, because as much as I've done a lot of tech work, I really did not feel I had the technical skills to actually fulfill that. Uh, and But they took a risk, and they took a chance with me. Uh, and it was a very intriguing experience, uh, doing tech work for 40 hours a week is, uh, a lot of work mm-hmm. and it was, um, hampering my, hampering me because uh, like I have an issue, like I need to be able to interact with people and when you're doing a lot of tech work, you're kind of behind a computer all yeah. the time yeah. and not having an opportunity to get away from it was driving me nuts. So it took some time, went through a lot of interesting experiences, uh, and uh, it actually did, I'll, I'll touch on this a little bit later, but uh, had a really good experience with this thing called Libre Planet, which I had heard about before, but never really participated in that the FSF uh, sponsors, uh, and then eventually transitioned into the position I'm in now, which is outreach and communication, uh, mm-hmm. and doing a lot more social media, doing a lot more postings, and working with, um, engaging with the communities and such like that, which is really I think my, if you will, wheelhouse, uh, and it gives me a chance to still do some tech stuff, but not um, all the time, which was, mm. I never really thought that it would actually have such an impact on me, but yeah, uh, it did. No, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, what I was thinking is that it's been such a long time since we've recorded, uh, we don't know if we still have any listeners. Um, hmm. And even if we even if we do, they, they might have completely forgotten who we are and what we do. And um, hopefully we have some new listeners. So um, I, I thought it'd be useful maybe to give some background and also to introduce where we, we're coming from. So you've just said you work for the Free Software Foundation. Um, I work for an organization called Union Solidarity International, which is a small project which really focuses on communicating union messages internationally and helping ordinary trade union members to express solidarity and connect and support each other, particularly using uh, new technology. Um, and so I guess I do a lot of union comms work. I, I work quite a lot with union activists and union comms people talking about um, how to communicate, how to build campaigns, and particularly mm-hmm. how to use how to use the internet. Um, and and as as for this show came about, how the show came about, I, I think Oof. we recorded our first episode. Uh, I think it was the first of May two thousand and eleven. Uh, and you know, back then we were exploring how we could bring the world of of uh, free and open source software together with the the trade union movement and i'm sorry mm-hmm. to say we haven't quite resolved that question yet which is why we felt the need to fire up 
audacity switch on our microphones and record another episode <laughs> yeah uh and even that year was actually pretty monumental because it was the same year as occupy and mm-hmm. that that was uh exceptionally intriguing because it ex- i mean a lot of the networks and a lot of the people that we connected with uh came from a lot of different movements and that opened up a tremendous amount of different people to connect with both in tech world um and the free software world as well as um in labor uh and social movements well not so much in labor i'd say as much as social movements because the labor i've always had the issues with it but for for those that are maybe new listeners i i started in labor and moved to tech and then fortunately we actually are unionized in the staff we i'm under the uh, uaw uh again if you all recall i was in the uaw when i was in grad school um that was United Academic Workers. I'm I'm going to use the AGPL for the tech nerds out there, and just say that we're United Afero Workers, which is what the A stands for in AGPL. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll get the sweatshirt soon. Don't worry. Uh, and so, um, uh, but it's 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 always been intriguing. Like I still remember when I followed you on Identica back before it was um, what it is now, which is Pump.io, uh, and seeing your political connections to technology and and labor movements and you and i shared a very interesting perspective on that and let's hope and uh that we can bring about change oh wait no they've already used that one in 2008 let's um (laughs) let's uh let's bring about change now i don't know we need some slogan of some sort um (laughs) but uh i think yeah, I think there's well, a good chance that we have an opportunity to, to bring discussions back given the experiences that we've had in the, even the yeah, last year. Yeah, so, um, for, yeah, and I guess um, for, for people who haven't listened to us before or haven't listened for a long time, um, I'll, I'll give a, a quick reminder of, of what the format of the show is. So we start out with an introduction and, and a bit of a chat, which is, what we, which is the bit you're listening to now. Uh, and then we, we kind of divide the show into two sections. And one is a... Um, kind of a, a labor section where we talk about politics generally and the labor movement and what's happening in the labor movement. And the, the second is the second section is the tech section where we talk um, specifically about technology and um, a, a particular bit of, of, of tech. Now, obviously, these two bleed into each other because we're interested in technology and how you use technology to communicate a labor message and all that kind of thing. But those are kind of the segments that, that uh, we do. And... Um, so, yeah, we've got a couple of, of things lined up in, in the labor section, and we also have a couple of things lined up in the tech section. But I think one of the changes that we're likely to be doing this time is we're going to talk about both free software and popular software. I think in the, in the earlier episodes, we used to focus quite heavily on, um, on free software, and we neglected the fact maybe that a lot of what unions are using to communicate all the time are, 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 is popular software like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. And um, it's really important for us to understand why popular software is popular and, and learn from that. So mm-hmm. um, what have we got on the menu today? What are we talking about today, Stephen? Um, well, our first course uh, will be, <laughs> I believe we're going to start with labor. Uh, and I believe you had gone to some retreat, if I recall. Uh, did you want to start off on that? You know, the, 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 uh, the pay's not great, but the work is hard. Are you up for it? Yeah, I'll tell you what I've been up to um, in the past month. And um, I've, I've been to two interesting meetings, I guess. The one was the, the Labour Start Retreat in, in Brussels. And then just last week, I went to the Uni Global Union Communicators Forum in, in Liverpool. So... I'll talk a little bit a bit about both of those because I you know learned a lot from from 
both experiences. But uh, to start with, with Labor Start, um, for people who don't know, Labor Start was really the first attempt to try and do things on the internet for trade unions. I think it started back in 1999, and uh, it was it was an attempt to kick to 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 connect trade unionists across the world using new technology. And I think the slogan of um, Labor Start is where trade unionists start their day. Um, mm-hmm. So it's something that's been around for a long time, like 17 years. And Labor Start really does two things. The one is it aggregates union news stories from around the world manually. So it has a big network of correspondents who look for labor news stories and they they add them to a website. So if you go to the Labor Start website, you can find out what's happening in the trade union world, mostly from um, mainstream media sources. And the other thing that it does is it runs email campaigns in support of trade unions in struggle. Um, so... It was a really interesting retreat because it was a kind of strategic retreat trying to decide where the organization should be going. So there was debates, for example, on whether um, Labor Start should only do trade union campaigns or whether they should reach out and do things which are of concern to the labor movement, but not directly labor labor struggles. So it might, you know, should they do a campaign on TPP and TTIP uh, and, and those kind of things? Those questions weren't resolved. It was the kind of thing that they were talking about. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing that people were, were speaking about is you know, what is the future of email campaigning? Because uh, Labor Start has a relatively big email list. It's got, I think, about 130,000 people on it. Um, wow. But the big organizations like Avaaz and Change.org and Some of Us and 38 Degrees have a lot more. I think Avaaz is pushing something like, like 50 million. So mm-hmm. there's a question of, how do you compete with that? Um, and one of the answers is that the the people on the Labour Start list are a lot more committed because uh, they tend to be union activists. And the the problem with Avaaz and a lot of the others is they tend to flood your inbox and you get uh, 10 requests a day to, you know, 48 hours to save the honeybee and 72 hours to save the whale. And, you know, for goodness sake, where do I click just to save everything? Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, with Labour Start, it tends to be one or two messages a week, and it's usually quite targeted and focused at a particular trade union struggle. So they get a much higher percentage of, of people signing up. But, you know, even, even so, a lot of us question whether this is an effective campaigning mechanism or whether it will continue to be an effective campaigning mechanism because I, I suspect that um, companies are finding it easier and easier to ignore messages like that or they become less impressed with messages like that when it's become a common campaigning tactic that so many people are doing hmm yeah yeah i mean and and minus the spelling error that you all have in the labor start because you guys for some reason put a u in there and that dis- disenfranchises <laughs> all us americans um that speak proper english <laughs> i'm sorry correct english you guys speak proper english i guess uh <laughs> but uh but yeah uh it that sounds really interesting. I, it's it's intriguing that that w- the the tactics and everything else, um, given the day and age of where where things have advanced, you know, like the uh, email campaigns and such seems really effective. I would almost say ten years ago, um, mm. to a great extent. Um, well, it, I think they're effective in certain targets nowadays, but not as as broadly as it used to be. 
Yeah, oh. I mean, it's interesting that, that you would say that because I also went to the Uni Global Communicators Forum, which uh, uh-huh. Uni Global Union is a global union for the services sector. And so they had senior comms people from um, from their affiliates um, mm-hmm. organizing um, postal workers and bank workers and security guards and um, cleaners and people like that. So those kinds of unions, also broadcast unions. Um, so their comms people all came together to talk about what they do. And we had... Um, a, a communications director from some of us come and speak to us about email campaigning and even even she said that you know it's very effective right now but she doesn't think that that tactic is going to be around in five or ten years time um, there's mm-hmm. a shift away from email there's a shift towards mobile more people use mobiles in fact people don't even people are using the internet less and less the internet in the sense of open up a browser and visit a website because so mm-hmm. much stuff happens in app so, um, yeah, so there's a lot of changes in, in both the way we need to think about our campaigning and also the way we communicate. Uh, putting a press yeah. release on, on, on a website is not going to reach people anymore because um, just the way people, people communicate are, is, is changing. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's very interesting how, how it's changed even in the five years that, that you, five years that we've known each other? Uh, just with the adaptations, the possible pushes, and everything else, so it it seems like the the mainstreams means of communication are more social media types, um, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, whatever the hell it's going to be uh, out there. Uh, and it's 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 also, I mean, it's it's also exhausting in a lot of senses because it requires the organizations to be in so many places at the same time, mm-hmm. and it's it's hard to keep those communications together, which like. In the abstract, email makes sense because you have one form of communication that you can keep other things going, which sounds great for those that can't do the multitasking. Mm. Uh, but then it's also a question of how to handle the multitasking. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. it seems that's, that's a very big challenge. Yeah, uh, I, I that, guess in my job, the, the, one of the most important things I've had to learn is workflow. And that means yeah. like how to, how to do something where um, it's blog post and then email and then Twitter and Facebook and then Instagram and... Snapchat, how you integrate that and, and develop a workflow where that comes quite naturally and isn't stressful. But there's no yes. way around it. It's just a lot of work. And uh, the, uh, that's the interesting thing about technology is that it makes us so much more productive and mm-hmm. it makes us able to reach so many more people, but it also mm-hmm. demands so much more from us. It, it, and I mean, even what you were saying about your tech, your tech job, it was exhausting. Even communicating yep. using technology is exhausting. It's, exhausting. Uh, it's very effective, but it's it's very tiring because uh, you know you, you you're constantly in a in a new uh, online community communicate trying to communicate a message, and it's it's tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I can relate to it. Like my new work is doing a lot more of the social media stuff, and and we're doing it mostly on three platforms, which is the Pump.io, Twitter, and GNU Social, uh, formerly StatusNet, formerly Identica. Uh, and even just those three and handling that communication is is relatively exhausting if you don't have like one centralized application to manage them. And then on top of that, doing the emails and then keeping those emails in correspondence in a, in a form that you can make make use of down the road. And that's that's the challenge that I, I think is is there for to be still fulfilled of like how do you how do you not only just to develop the workflow to deal with that, but how do you orchestrate how you use that data to to can create other connections so like yeah yeah i mean I, that, that's what i'm thinking about as a challenge too yeah i mean for, i guess for me what this says what this says is that 
and this is something which I keep coming back to, and we're not going to talk about it today, but I think it's a good topic for another show. But commerce is breaking the internet. Uh, you know, the, the idea of the internet as being this platform that we can use to communicate is seriously affected and undermined by the fact that people want to make money from it, um, yeah. which is what drives app development. It drives app competitiveness. Um, mm-hmm. It drives all these social networks to try and keep people within their own network, um, which fragments the internet and gets people um, inside apps, spending their time inside apps instead of, you know, communicating on, on an e- evil even platform and the other thing that's happening is um advertisements are are ruining the web experience um, and yeah. you know I, I don't know if you notice that but there's so so much stuff is um supported now by really intrusive advertisements that even you know like something which should be really easy to access like a blog with a bit of text suddenly is a huge amount of data there's also play videos there's all sorts of crap on there which makes the internet a worse yeah. experience um but yeah let's let's park that talk about that another day because i think it's an important issue what's happening to the yeah. internet and what what direction is it going in and um are you ready to move yeah. on to our tech discussion uh sure which for you is computers so well i guess under tech um as we we're saying earlier we should talk about both the uh the free software and the the popular software yeah. and so i was thinking of talking a bit about snapchat um yeah but did you do you want to is it do you want to do something about free software foundation first yeah or? yeah let's let's do that so uh and you know for our wonderful listeners out there just so you know well and i don't really plan this shit out <laughs> we just pick some stuff and go uh we just sound really good uh so one of the things uh that i wonder there are two things that i went to this year too just to go on conferences that that um seems to be a good segue of uh or theme for this episode is uh, one of the things I experienced for the first time was Libre Planet, which is a conference that the Free Software Foundation puts on every year. Uh, it's here in Boston, and it's a, a number of different projects that are invited. So there's a, obviously numerous free software projects that are there. A number of people are brought in or invited in to discuss their, their uses of them in, in the field, if you will. Uh, and sometimes that brings some very interesting discussions. Uh, it does have some of the... Uh, typical people that you'd expect to see in a Free Software Foundation conference, such as Richard M. Stallman, RMS, uh, will give a talk uh, typically, as well as some other people that are involved in different areas. Um, and so a lot of it is uh, stuff that's that's being developed, and it's also a lot of discussions that connect to various different movements. Um, they, I, th- I think something that gets lost in the free software world itself is that the, the, there is a free software movement, uh, and it's sometimes very hard to define. And uh, I'm going to say this right now just because I know we didn't say this in the beginning, but my views expressed on this podcast are not the expressed written views of my position at the FSF um, because uh, I don't want to imply that, that um, what I'm saying here is, is the voice of the FSF. In fact, what Walton and I are doing is completely between him and I bringing this podcast together. Um, and doesn't represent our, our workplaces. Uh, but those do influence our, our experiences to a tremendous amount. Uh, so uh, what, what I'm saying, though, in that case is that there, the free software movement follows a pretty strong tendency, if you will. Um, tendency, if we could orchestrate it or s- draw similarities to Trotsky or whatever, of, you know, this is the line and you can't cross the line. Uh, and that 
that is good and bad depending on how you approach it. Um, and it, it's, I think, Libre Planet though, in my in my experience, has given uh, that line to be a little bit blurry in a good sense because it brings people who have not necessarily been part of the free software movement but have been using free software um, and are introduced to it, but also brings people who are in the free software movement and get them introduced to other movements that are outside of the free software movement that they can connect to. Uh, and there were some really good talks on it that had gone on. Uh, and and I, 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 it's something that's going to be coming up again, and I'll be probably talking about it a little bit more in detail as it comes up, but it was a really intriguing experience because of the people that I met there. Um, I, I'm going to share this little story that I didn't tell you earlier, Walton, which is uh, while I was there, um, the, there's somebody who had asked one of my other coworkers uh, if there's anybody that would be able to talk about the union. And so um, an activist member of the Free Software Foundation uh, spoke, he and I sat down and spoke because uh, I'm, I'm one of the few people on staff that have actually work, been in unions before um, and have some union background. So we were talking about free software and labor movement work, which is actually kind of cool. I didn't actually expect that. And I was really excited about that discussion, even starting there uh, and trying to figure out how to move forward from it. Uh, so there's a lot of different opportunities that come from from that conference that was really cool. Uh, the other conference that is a little bit more specific to software itself uh, was I had gotten to go to the CiviCon conference for Civi CRM uh, mm-hmm. that takes place um, or took place in Denver, Colorado, uh, which I uh, will say that is interesting being in Denver, Colorado because marijuana is now legal there. That was my um, first thought as well, yeah. <laughs> uh, however, I will say that they also heightened the um, the penalty because they the, the legislature didn't pass it, so they strictly enforce um, a policy of no smoking in public areas. So mm. you get a hundred and fifty dollar ticket for smoking in the public. Um, so wow. that marijuana may cost you ten bucks, but it may cost you another one hundred and fifty if the cops catch you. And when mm. you're from out of state, you can't go any place to smoke it necessarily. Uh, and if you live in the state, you can't smoke it on your patio if your patio is viewable by a public street or sidewalk. Uh, so they've really made it a pain in the ass. Um, but they do have edibles, which they don't have the same restrictions on. And never, anyway, I'm I'm diverting my conversation here. <laughs> yeah, so, but it, into a really interesting area because it reminds me that I've seen a number of news articles about uh, marijuana farmers um, organizing, unionizing. So. Yeah, there's a whole. Which, <laughs> there's something else we can talk about sometime. Definitely, which is also yeah, we we definitely got to put a pin in that conversation because I think there's a lot there. Uh, but going there uh, for CiviCon was really intriguing. I met some people that I uh, were were new to me, and then I happened to run into people that I didn't expect to see there. Uh, some people from the Worker Run Co-op that I'm in, which is local. Some people from May First. Some people from organizations that are connected to May First. Um, and it was actually really intriguing uh, and a really good experience. And I got to see a lot of amazing things that are being developed for Civi. Um, one in particular is Civi Volunteer, which um, the FSF is going to be implementing soon, uh, which is really good for events because you can set up a whole volunteer section of like, we need volunteers to do this, 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 and this at this specific time. And people can sign up for them individually. Uh, but it adds a lot of, a lot of pretty cool features. Uh, and the experience of that conference was great because – you know, we've talked about Civi before, um, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of intriguing things that are connected to it. And I think one of the things they're trying to get to that they're like because they they've been heavily email based uh, to connect back to what we're discussing with the email campaigns. Uh, but they've always been able to do SMS um, and tracking that information, which is still popularly used, believe it or not. Um, mm-hmm. Especially with now SMS Secure, 
which is a nice way of using encrypted SMS messages. Uh, and then, and then, so they're trying to get to a point where they can work with the social medias. And one of the things that uh, some social media out there have understood is that creating a free a free software API, which allows mm-hmm. people to communicate with that software, is a really good thing because it allows other tools to connect to it. Uh, and when you limit that, which like organizations like Facebook do, it makes it very hard to uh, connect to external organizing because uh, a lot of people use Facebook to organize, but I'm putting air quotes, which you can't see on the internet, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> around uh, organize because Facebook tries to control that data. Uh, but it's really hard to get that data and then communicate from an external tool that may not be related to it. Mm-hmm. Twitter has actually been pretty good with that, actually, and opening up the API. And I think that's something that we can actually put pressure on a lot of this social media is to get open APIs or free software-based APIs out there so people can do it more with their medium. Um, mo- mostly, the reason I say that is because one of the things that I get constrained with is... I. I don't know if you remember the 90s that well. I do to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But I remember AOL and Prodigy as two major um, ISPs or ways you could connect to the internet. But when you had an AOL account back in the day, you could only email other AOL accounts and you could not email yep. any other account. And I feel like we're somehow going back to that with Facebook. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that and that we've gotten to ourselves to a point where we've, we've, we started with this great opportunity, blew it up into some chaos of the 90s to now shrink it back down to what we had before and nothing is really necessarily new. I remember AOL being very advertised-driven, still advertised-driven, yeah. and everything else. And th- th- that's the frustrating part. I-, I feel like it's also something that's not necessarily answered in the even from our own perspective of free software because the, you need to find an economic answer to how things are built because otherwise it's hard to s- sustain it. Mm, um, absolutely, yeah. But, but yeah, so... I mean, the, so those those two conferences are really good. I might be going back to the Civicon one again this year, but uh, this, the Libre Planet one, I'll be organizing on it uh, and hoping to get some pretty good activist people out there that are using free software, and sometimes they don't even know it. Uh, there's some organizations that are really cool that are using free software, and it's even a small part. Like, if you're familiar with Jacobin Magazine, uh, mm-hmm. is a really popular publication, and their website is WordPress, which is free software. Uh, and there's another organization called Left Roots that also I happened to look at their site and they use Civi CRM. So these free software tools are getting used in certain places. Uh, it's mm. just not necessarily popular in the sense that people know it's free software. Uh, and yeah, it's not well, really connected to the movement. Yeah, well, I mean, USI uses Civi CRM and I'm, I'm really pleased to hear about some of those, those developments because its capabilities are already pretty sophisticated. Uh, it would be really good if they if they kind of if they manage to keep that up to date with the way the internet is developing and and the kind of changes that are happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean it's a challenge because it's also a matter of financing. I mean, I learned a lot about Civi's community. It's a phenomenal community. I did not know some of the implementations of Civi. I had no idea that the New York State Senate of all places uses Civi for all their senators have. The, and this is the amazing part: they have one version of Civi that's done with a multi-site which I, I don't want to get too technical about it, but it means that there's one central civi that gets upgraded, but that civi has multiple databases for each different Senate office. Uh, and so when they have to upgrade the service, they're only upgrading one instance of it instead of multiple different instances of it for each office, which is actually good. 
in one sense. It's bad in the centralization thing, but it's good in the sense that the centralization things makes it easier to upgrade. And mm. I think that's a good good tactic. Uh, and the state, New York State Senate was paying the civic community to maintain that for quite some time. Uh, and that was actually helping the development of civic going forward. Right now, they're, they're trying to figure out their own financial uh, and funding issues too, uh, which is a lot of the conversations I've had with them. Uh, and they've created a membership program now, uh, which is good, so people can join as members and have a have support going in their direction. Uh, they haven't really figured out exactly how to activate those members and like how to empower them in certain ways, but that's something that they're working on, which is good. Uh, and so, th- those are tactics; those are good ideas of like creating some kind of low bar, low level like pay of membership dues of like certain amount per month or every year that gives some seed money to keep the funding going to pay the developers to keep that stuff going forward because that's it's not that's not easy it's i mean free software is great but it's not you know free isn't like a free beer uh mm-hmm. there is a lot of labor time that goes into it and it needs to be valued in some form uh mm-hmm. and i think that's a, a the challenge that needs to be met of how do you value it in this age it used to be that the a lot of the people back in the 90s that were doing free software development were getting paid a shitload of money from big corporations and they had they had editorial control, if you will, on how they license their software. Nowadays, mm-hmm. it's it's not like that. The high paying tech jobs are not there in the, as they were in the nineties, and now companies are restricting how their software is licensed, and that mm-hmm. makes it more challenging. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Whew, I talked a lot there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, that's that's the stuff. Uh, there's going to be a lot more that I'll bring into the free the tech section itself. Uh, but I think. You have some little bit more stuff on what is more popular at this point, which may not be free software. Well, Snapchat. Um, Snap. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like it. Do you, do you even know what Snapchat is? Because you're probably too old, Stephen. Uh, oh, wait a second. I thought I was younger than you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess I mean, one of the you, things. Kid, get off my lawn. <laughs> I guess one of the things that I find really interesting is looking at the demographics of where people get their information from and and who uses what on the internet. So, um, you know, I've kind of looked into this and if you are um, over 50, you probably get most of your information about the world from TV news and the mainstream media, newspapers. Um, If you are kind of... 25 to to 40, you probably get it from Facebook and Twitter and a few other social networks. But if you're under 25, you're probably not even using those because Facebook is where your parents are. So uh, (laughs) younger people tend to use things like Instagram and Snapchat to communicate. And to a large extent, these are things which unions have not even begun to grasp or to look at or, or to understand. Um, and I think it's important to, to to try and wrap our heads around them so that we know we know how these tools work and we can figure out whether they're useful ways of communicating or not. Um, and I've been taking a look at Snapchat and I think it's actually pretty cool. Uh, so for people who don't know what it is, it's temporary social media and it exists only in an app on, on an iPhone or an Android phone. So you can't look at it on the internet. There's no... You don't have a profile online or anything like that. And the temporary bit is, the way it works is, if I'm talking to Stephen on Snapchat and I send him a message, I can send him a text message, a video message, or a photo message. He opens that message, and within 10 seconds, after I've seen it, it's destroyed and it's gone forever. 
Um, and it, it kind of developed as a response, I think, to younger people not liking the idea of drunk pictures of themselves being on <laughs> Facebook when they're applying for a job 10 years later. Um, hmm. So I guess that, I mean, I guess it's important to say at this point that I've looked into the security of Snapchat and it's not totally secure. So even though that message has disappeared, someone might be able to still get hold of it, you know, by, I don't know, hacking the servers of Snapchat or whatever the case is. So I'm not going to make an argument that you should use Snapchat instead of tech secure and PTP. Um, but I, I think it, it can actually be quite a good secure way for people to communicate just because it's it's pretty obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it has, I, I can really see how it can be used for union organizing. And I'm thinking particularly of organizing um, precarious workers in places where you don't really get unions. Because one of the things you can do on, on Snapchat is you can create a channel which broadcasts and you can record messages on that channel which disappear after 24 hours. And the way you follow that channel is by scanning a a QR code, which is like it's created by the app and it has a little icon of a ghost on it. So it's called your ghost. So you can Mm -hmm. scan our ghost and follow us and you'll be able to see what messages we are uh, we're broadcasting. And I can totally imagine how you could print out uh, a bunch of ghosts and and go to, say, an area of the city where there's lots of bars and you want to organize bar workers and, um, you know, print out a ghost with. A message that says hate your job join the resistance and then um you know someone someone could then follow that account by scanning the ghost and there, there'll be a union organizer there saying right tomorrow we're organizing a, um, a a flash mob outside this particular bar in ashton lane or whatever the case is and although it's not secure in the sense of it's it's a secret communication it really will be hard for bosses to figure out how to get that message, partly because mm-hmm. it's not even on the internet. Um, it, it, it's just within this app. But also, I think it's just an interesting way of, of reaching a population and a, and, a, and a community of people that we, we often miss. So, yeah, I've created a Snapchat account and, um, for, for Union Solidarity International, and it, it's kind of interesting. And I really want to hear from a union that's using this uh, as an organizing tool because I want to know if it works. That, I mean, that sounds really intriguing. It's it's it does answer that question. I, I think what you highlighted with Facebook and the rest of them. I think the day that Facebook, you know, got rid of students being the only ones that could join it. I, I think that's when when they started. I, I mean, I honestly feel like Facebook is on its way out at some point. But you know, I also don't use Facebook, which is also somewhat problematic, I guess, mm. uh, to some. But uh, it's intriguing just because that that problem does exist. It would be great to see this done in a more secure form. Uh, that it would be encrypted uh, to a certain extent. I mean, it's amazing, like, you know, WhatsApp, of all things, actually does encryption, but uh, which surprised me, actually, that they actually adopted that. Uh, Not that I advocate for using WhatsApp, but it is something that is popular. Um, I have an account on there, but it's not something I regularly use, and I definitely don't use it when organizing. Um, But but I think the idea of something that is only there temporarily... it's also to me even seems like it's something that could be easily redeployable uh mm. and in the sense of like if you could create something like that 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 could be easily redeployable so that you know if snapchat servers get compromised that you could still have that same yeah I, I think it's a, it's a fantastic idea and it's really well it's really well done i mean i really like that ghost it, it's a 
um, it's just such an interesting way of communicating and it, and it feels like because the thing is if you see that ghost and that QR code you have to know what Snapchat is to even know how to use it so uh-huh. it has this it has this kind of real sense that anyone who's over 25 is is going to struggle to even know what it's about yeah and, and I think there's a lot you can do with it I mean currently it's just a commercial app and people are trying to make money off it but um, it's a great idea, and I'd really like, love to see a, a secure implementation that people could use. Yeah, yeah. It's a. It seems like a challenge out there. Uh, it would be interesting to see if it could be done. I mean, it, it could also be done by you, like, kind of going back to my other point earlier of opening up their API <laughs> and just having yeah. the another commu- another tool that connects to it that can create that um, encryption. I think. Um, I don't want to speak too speak highly on, on crypto, but. I think it'd be possible, but that's mm-hmm. it's really intriguing. I mean, I think I think that's the the thing that that is missed by labor movements and other movements and free software movements and that and of itself is like where are the the for lack of a better term the youth or youths as I'd like to say mm-hmm. from a classic movie show. Um, but uh, yeah, not just that. I mean, where are the people? Like, yeah. the, the problem with the the software movement and the labor movement is that um, you know we understand software really well. We understand mm-hmm. the politics really well, but we don't always understand human psychology that well. So we yeah. get annoyed with people when they use Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter instead of using free software, instead of trying to understand what it, what it is about those services that are so user-friendly that people really like. Um, yeah. And we, yeah, we need to, I guess, be a bit less self-righteous about what people try to use and, and understand why they're using it and um, adapt our approaches so that we're a lot easier to work with. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good outlook. I, I think that's that's one of the challenges of it is that we're not we're not at, we're not creating a path of uh, we're not creating a path. <laughs> I think that's quite literally it. Is that there's there is no path of that transition over whatever. Is mm-hmm. that it's just it's just this isolated thing that we all look at and then don't really think about. Oh, maybe we should try to create a path for it. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you know, and just trying to get the transition there. So. I, I mean, it's interesting. I, I yeah, I, I don't have too much more to share about it because I've not used it myself, but I'm intrigued by it. It uh, seems uh, interesting to to take a peek at. I might have to play with it. Um, this well, cell phone I, thing. Yeah, I, I wrote an article about it, and um, I, we can put a link to the article in show notes. So I'd be interested to see. I'd be interested if people read that article and, and let us know uh, what you yeah. think about about Snapchat. I think, that, I think that's a great idea. Uh well, well that's good. Walton, I think I think this is a good first show back. Um I don't know if there's more that you wanted to add. No, uh, I think that's our show. Um I yeah. I'd like to do a shout out before we finish just to oh. if that's if that's okay with you. Yeah, that'd be great. Go ahead. So, yeah, I want to just a uh, shout out to Derek Blackadder of mm. um of Labor Start Canada and uh, QP the Public Sector Union. Um, because he came up to me at the Labor Start retreat and he said, hey, when are you, when are you going to record cyber unions again? I've missed it. And <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, you know, someone actually cares about cyber unions. So it's kind of because of, because of him that I, I got back in touch with Stephen and said, hey, we should we totally need to do do an episode. So, yeah, thanks. And this this episode is dedicated to Derek. Nice. Thank you, Derek. <laughs> Well, that sounds great. I think we will try to figure out some kind of regular sequence at this point. Uh, we might try to possibly introduce another uh, co-host and to spare us of our 
annoyances to each other um, <laughs> and go from there. Uh, and we'll see how this develops going forward. Uh, yeah, and... but uh, we, we hope to bring it to you on, on a regular schedule. Yes, schedule. You gotta, there's a there's a there's a sound in there that you're <laughs> whatever, missing. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> uh, by the way, you're just to, to make one other note. Your your South African accent is coming into my everyday now because there's now a new host to a show that I watch a lot of, named Trevor oh, Noah. Oh yes, oh, of course, yeah, Trevor Noah. <laughs> but oh, we'll right. talk about that watched... more. Yeah, it's we'll good, have to talk though. about it next time. I haven't watched any of his his stuff. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. So uh, cool. we'll uh, we'll talk more about that soon. Anyway, thank you all for the listeners out there, all two of you, uh, and we'll hopefully have four next time. <laughs> so thank you all. Bye-bye. Bye. Visit us at cyberunions.org. Follow us on Twitter and Identica at cyberunions or on Reddit slash r slash cyberunions. You can also email us feedback or grievance at cyberunions.org. Thank you for listening.